hungering for God is, is basically a description of what a Christian is. When we hunger for God, it is an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And so we begin our spiritual lives. Uh, look at that, it changed color on me. There we go. Someday I'm going to understand the smart board. But when we hunger for God, it's an acknowledgement that Jesus is the bread of God, come down from heaven, and all who partake of him have endless life. Salvation is not joining a church, it's not praying a prayer, it's not getting baptized, and it's not just becoming religious. It is when we personally become partakers of God, when he actually comes to abide within us. We have his abiding word within us, and it completely changes us from the inside out at different rates, at different speeds. But all of us are in the process of hungering more and more for the Lord. That's the evidence of our health. Uh, if someone doesn't have a spiritual appetite, there's only two diagnoses. They're lost or they're sick. And so what we've come to is, is much of what it says in Revelation. The churches of the first century, most, five out of seven, were filled with sick people. They were saved, they didn't hunger for God. And there were a lot of reasons. But basically, when you want to come back to health, you look at the components of hungering for God. There are three. The first one is prayer. Prayer is how we got saved. We call on the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. Uh, salvation doesn't, it's not osmotic. It's not like through osmosis. It doesn't just slowly come on us with no interaction with us because we're around Christians. It's when we come to a desperate crisis moment of acknowledging our lostness and looking to the only one that can save us. It's like drowning. If you've ever been drowning and someone saves you, you know it, unless you went unconscious, but then afterward you knew it. Do you understand what I mean? I meet people all the time. I say, you're saved. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know when I got saved. So were you not drowning? Did you not know you were lost and desperately headed toward destruction? Were you not aware that you could not make it and you reached out in faith and cried out? See, that's what salvation is, crying out to the Lord. Save me. That's salvation. That's prayer. Prayer is seeking God. It starts at salvation. It continues through life. Because as you receive the Lord, you still walk in him. We realize that apart from him, we can't do anything. So we're, the more we realize that, the more we're praying and crying out to him. The second element of a healthy spiritual life that hungers after God is not only seeking God in prayer, but it's fasting. Fasting is learning to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's an indicator of health. If, if we are denying ungodliness, we're spiritually healthy. Now, a lot of people are trying to deny everybody else ungodliness. That's the politicking thing. We're always trying to make pagans act like Christians. They can't. Let pagans act like pagans. Just declare to them what God says, his righteousness, his judgment. I mean, how did Paul deal with a profligate Roman procurator? How did he deal with him? He told him about righteousness and judgment to come, and Felix started shaking. He, he was scared to death. You see, that's, that's how we impact society. Tell them about God's righteousness and his judgment to come. And, and we live the life of denying ungodliness. And, and that's central to hungering for God. You, you can't hunger for God if you're consumed voraciously with everything else. In fact, I was just speaking... Um, 
at Word of Life and in this auditorium there, and I said, there are, there's a whole generation that hardly knows any words that are breathed out by the breath of God, but they know every word Taylor Swift has ever breathed out by heart, and they can sing them forward and backward, but they don't know what God has breathed out because they don't hunger for God, and they're either sick or lost. See, there's no middle ground. Hungering for God is normal Christianity. Not hungering for God is lostness or sickness and needs to be remedied. And it starts by praying, confessing, acknowledging sin, returning in faith to the Lord, denying ungodliness, but that's not where we are. I've, I've just reviewed the last five months. Resting in God, which is where we come to this concept, the Sabbath, is acknowledging God's ownership of my time. There is enough time in every week, 168 hours, to accomplish everything that God wants me to accomplish. Not everything I want to accomplish, not everything everybody else imposes on me, but everything God wants me to accomplish. If I am hungering for him, seeking him, denying ungodliness, I will be able to rest in the fact that I am fulfilling his purpose for my life in this generation. We all live in our generation, and we all have, a, if we're saved, a purpose God wants us to fulfill. And the only way you know that is by acknowledging a hunger for God, praying, seeking his help and strength and provision, denying, which is sanctification, denying ungodliness, and resting by allowing God to reflect his ownership of my time. And what I'm talking about when I talk about the Sabbath day is this, that, that God is the one that invented the seventh day. He's the one that made seven-day weeks. There's no anthropological reason in the world, paleo or modern, of why we have a seven-day week other than God designed it that way. And he designed it not for us to rest on the seventh day. He did not design that. He rested on the seventh day because he wanted us to reflect on his ownership of all of our time. And so he wants us to acknowledge his ownership of our time. In fact, it reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I mean Belteshazzar. You remember the handwriting on the wall in Daniel 5 when there was just a hand and a finger poking in the plaster and Belteshazzar, the third in command of the nation, or the second in command, was, was banging his knees together. He was scared to death. And as he looked up there, he said, what does it say? And they said, well, there's someone that can interpret it. His name is Daniel. So they called in Daniel. And Daniel looked to him and said the most stunning thing. He said, the God of heaven that holds your king's life breath in his hand. God holds your breath, your life, your continuing existence every day is only at his allowance. He's determined your number's up, time's up, you're going. How would you like a message like that? You know what the king said? Put a gold chain around his neck. Pass another round of drinks. Sounds great to me. And that night he died. He never reflected God's ownership of his time in his life. We should. So how do we do that? Philippians 3. We are citizens of heaven. We should have a different view of time than the world does. The world has, uh, you know, the, the seize the moment thing. Live for my, my body. Most people live for their body. 
what they eat, what they drink, and what they put on it, and what the body looks like. And their whole life revolves around getting the latest things to put on the body, or toning and tanning the body, or you know, frizzing if you have something to frizz, or uh, taking the body places and having the body enjoy stuff. And their whole time is consumed with everything here. It's kind of like everything that's possible to do. It, it's to, to enjoy and, and to experience and to feel and to have. And, and, and everything is just kind of like they're piling around them as much stuff as possible in life. And they're citizens of the world. In fact, the book of Revelation calls them earth dwellers. They dwell here. You know what we're called? Heavenly citizens in Philippians 3.